Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for joining in with us. Today, we're going to teach you how to grow your business through being a better leader, hopefully making less mistakes and letting your employees, your agents, your subs, your vendors, letting them all breathe and create and manage. Now, to say the negative, or actually, I think it's a double negative, to not stifle them, which is a point where good leaders go wrong. Now, today's special guest is a premier expert on this topic, and we're going to pack in as much information as we can. So whether you work for just yourself, you're a solopreneur, or you have a small team, or any size company, there are people you depend on to get tasks done. And in that respect, you have to manage and be a leader. Well, we're going to talk about where good leaders go wrong with James Wetrit. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief on how to turn your passion into purpose. Stay tuned for that. And please listen for news from our sponsor, Fast Growing Trees. You get just about anything you want shipped to your property. I use them too. And this show is available because of them. So please take note and hear what they have to say. That's Fast Growing Trees with a special offer for our show listeners later on in this episode. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high, sustainable level. And we're going to help turn you into an elite entrepreneur. Meet James Wetrit. He's led teams in three continents for over 40 years, and he's consulted with over a hundred companies. And he built a healthcare company that grew to over a billion dollars growth. And the list goes on. Listen well, guys. Take notes. He knows his stuff. Let's get into it and learn. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hi, Tony. Uh, It's an honor and a delight to be with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. Jim, the pleasure is mine. And we're all looking forward to finding out more about where good leaders go wrong. And I'm really curious about this. So what's your backstory and how did that get into leadership? Yeah, Tony, thank you for asking. And I do want to give you and your family a shout out for all the work you're doing with the Southgate Foundation. It's uh, it's humbling and it's wonderful. And we have so many neighbors in need and uh, we appreciate that. And I want to thank you. Um, I think probably the most important thing in terms of my backstory, Tony, is that I grew up in the 50s, 60s and 70s in Southern California. Um, Southern California was a a very different environment than it might be today. It still is and was even back then extremely diverse. And um, there was just a a wonderful nurturing nurturing environment. I was also very fortunate um, to have parents who were very focused on education and were also very focused on giving back. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get through uh, the the interview today. But uh, my mom, for example, during Halloweens would go out and uh, raise money for UNICEF, right? So um, I just grew up in an environment of giving back and helping other people. I also, uh, specifically, Tony, was raised in Claremont, California. And Claremont, as many of your listeners know, is uh, the home of many outstanding elite colleges 
such as Pomona College and Claremont McKenna College, Scripps College. So it was a very education-focused environment. And to add an exclamation point on that, there was a family named the Webb family that actually created two elite schools uh, in the community that still thrive. One's a, a high school called the Webb Schools or Webb Schools of California, and another is an elementary uh, through eighth grade school called Foothill Country Day School. So I actually was able to attend both Foothill and Webb and get a f- education and foundation um, uh, as a day student. Uh, Webb did have borders uh, as well, and it really helped jettison me, who I was, my development, my leadership, and clearly my education. As you mentioned, I have a diverse background. I've um, spent 10 years initially in the hospital administration world. I then uh, jumped over to the medical device and pharmaceutical space. I've got 22 years in that space and 10 years as a as an entrepreneur uh, building my own business, um, which I've continued to evolve. I bought a business to help me with my own business. Um, and in my last role, Tony, managing a company, uh, the U.S. and Latin America for a Swedish-based company owned by Investor AB, the Wallenbergs. Uh, when I joined that company in 2006, the sales were $28 million. The EBITDA was $5 million. Fast forward eight years later, we took that business to over $220 million and over $100 million in EBITDA from number five to number one in the market. And the thing I'm proudest of is we had employee satisfaction scores over 95%. Lastly, I'd like to thank my parents um, for steering me into healthcare, Tony. Um, healthcare is a great place to be. Healthcare is a big part of the GDP in this country. And it's also a place where um, there's so much meaning to the work that we do. That's quite a story. And I have more questions on that, but I wanted to thank you about the plug on Southgate. I don't mention it at all on my show. Rarely have I even said it, but yes, we do help others that are in unfortunate situations, widows, orphans. Uh, For example, one particular person, I think I've mentioned it to you, he fell off a ladder years ago and he became pretty much a paraplegic. He's learning how to talk and walk. And I have a video on it uh, for the audience because I don't talk about it. If you go to the Southgate tab, you'll see it. Well, one of the reasons I bring it up is we just got the call earlier this morning uh, that his wife's father died and she's unable to uh, arrange for the funeral. So Southgate is actually assisting to fly her and the body to Missouri so that they can do the funeral. So if anyone out there has the heart to help, go to the Southgate tab and help. It just feels good. We do it. I think that's why I'm on this earth. And I don't talk about it much because I just help as I can, but I welcome more help. That would be good. Check it out. Enough of me and my little commercial. I just had to say that because you mentioned it. Jim, I can say it's your fault. (laughs) I'm happy to have you blame it on me, Tony. (laughs) And so now back to you. You've helped a lot of executives on the topic of leadership. Is there some point you had this moment, hey, I'm good at this. I can do this. I I can make a business, a life out of this. I kind of want to go into that moment. Yeah, it started really, uh, Tony, uh, in 1989 when uh, I um, stumbled into a bookstore when I was living in Chicago and and working at Abbott Laboratories. 
um, and picked up uh, a copy of Warren Bennis's uh, really uh, pivotal book uh, called On Becoming a Leader. It had just come out and um, it had a great impact on me in terms of so many things in, involving leadership. It was so well written and it gave me the confidence and um, the resolve to continue to build and become the, a better leader and the skills I needed to be a leader. I had the pleasure um, some time ago of actually spending an afternoon at his house in Santa Monica before he passed away with Warren Bennis. And it was clearly one of the highlights of, of my life and, and, and my work experience. He's such an amazing individual with such an incredible um, message um, that still resonates for anybody who's trying to build their leadership capabilities and capacities today. And Jim, I wonder as you're, as I'm hearing you, I'm going, why are you doing it? What's your purpose? What's, what's behind all this, Jim? You know, it's, it's great. It, it's part of what I mentioned earlier, Tony, it's, it's uh, part of giving back, right? It's, it's uh, part of giving back part of passion. Um, I have 40 years of experience and there's a lot of learnings I've had, both positive and negative in those 40 years. And um, I've been through a lot of situations that a lot of people are going through um, and uh, I want to help them. I, I, I do it because it's important to me. Uh, I think I mentioned to you when we were talking before the, the interview um, I have my wife and I have created two endowed scholarships, uh, one at Emory University School of Nursing and one at Texas Wesleyan University here in Fort Worth. And uh, when I teach uh, principles of marketing from time to time there as an adjunct, I actually get paid a small amount and I return that money to Texas Wesleyan to help fund the endowed scholarship, because what I really want to do is, is help the students who need help. And it's really important. And I take that passion into my coaching business, um, into uh, the leadership development business. It's um, like you mentioned earlier, Tony, for you, to me, it's, it's uh, I believe, a calling. It's, it's why I was put in uh, earth to help people do that. We're talking about Where Good Leaders Go Wrong with James Wetrich. And you can find him at jimwetrich.com. That's J-I-M-W-E-T. R-I-C-H dot com. Think of it as wet, rich. Three words, Jim, wet, rich. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, where good leaders go wrong with James Wetrich. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey, I am so excited to talk about trees with you. Yeah, trees. And I'll talk about that anytime. And as you know, from a couple of weeks back, I got this really cool tree in the mail. And I'm going to tell you all about that in a moment. And I want you to consider this. Now that spring is around the corner, it's time for us to think about elevating our front and backyard landscaping, don't you think? And before I share with you what I got in the mail, let me tell you about fast growing trees. Well, first of all, they're plant experts. They curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate, from Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. You know, happy plants, happy home, right? But sometimes it's hard to know which plants are going to do best. 
it is a problem for you homeowners. You know what I'm talking about. And I want to let you know that with fast-growing trees, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Their plant experts are always available to help you keep your plants healthy through the season and beyond. That's very important to keep in mind. For me, I live in a very unique microclimate, and finding the right plant or tree, it's not easy. It's a challenge, and it gets expensive doing trial and error. Well, the experts at Fast Growing Trees, they help you with all your questions and concerns, and they help me pick the perfect tree for my yard. And there's no waiting around in long lines or hauling plants or anything like that. With Fast Growing Trees, you order online, and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. How about that? Unlike the box stores, you get exactly what you want. So here's what happened. First, as you heard on a prior commercial, I got an Autumn Blaze Red Maple Tree, which is absolutely beautiful. You you will see some images on my social media. The tree is really perfect. So we had a place to plant it, and we were waiting for this continuous storm to finally pass. The whole area was constantly muddy from all the rain. The storm and rain went on for a while. Well, the storm was so fierce that it knocked down a cluster of very decent-sized trees, three of them. Yeah, really. So now that it's a little bit more dry outside and not so muddy, I started chopping it up, and it makes the perfect spot to plant my Autumn Blaze Red Maple. I can't wait to show you on social media once we have everything tidied up. And by the way, with Fast Growing Trees' 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you know everything's going to look great fresh out of the box. So let's do this. Join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Tony now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Tony. That's F-A-S-T-G-R-O-W-I-N-G-T-R-E-E-S dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And elevate your landscaping today. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Where Good Leaders Go Wrong with James Wetrich. And just a quick note that I sincerely appreciate you listening to my weekly shows with today's lead entrepreneurs. And if you like what you hear, please consider giving a kind review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Look up the Tony D'Urso Show and do your thing. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the chat with Jim. All right, Jim, let's get further into your vision path here. We're all entrepreneurs and business owners. We want to learn from you. You're the pro. Can you give us some tips on how to be an effective leader? Yeah, I think um, there's a number of things, Tony, one of which is uh, really critical, um, and it's building uh, your self-awareness, right? It really all starts with us and becoming self-aware of who we are, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. And one of the more important things in that regard uh, is knowing what we don't know. There is uh, obviously a need for self-confidence, for passion, for commitment, for energy. But all leaders at all levels of all organizations, whether they're sole entrepreneurs, sole proprietors, small business CEOs, large, huge company CEOs going all the way up to, you know, General Electric and Jeff Immelt when he was there. 
you have to know what you don't know and and um finding the people that can help you with those gaps is so critical a lot of mistakes people make is assuming they can do something because they've done other things before they've been successful i can do it and you might very well be able to do it but understanding in that context how and when and where i need help is so very important and also you know growing from your mistakes and we'll talk more about that in a little bit i appreciate that and i was looking through some of your information i've looked through quite a bit you say that publicly acknowledging your own failures is a prerequisite for success i've never heard that one before Well, Tony, I'm glad I've got some good material and new material for you because you've had a lot of uh, amazing people on your show. And thank you for that. Again, I think the key, Tony, is extracting what we can learn from that, right? Not beating yourself up, not being overly critical, but how can we grow and learn from those mistakes? We're all going to make mistakes. Uh, I'm, I'm 65 years old. We'll be 66 in a few months. Uh, I'm continuing to make mistakes, right, uh, in my work and in things that I do. And it's just a gift. I, I look at these opportunities as gifts, right, that, that we've uh, got an opportunity to learn something from it. What can we learn? Look back. Um, I know a number of executives uh, of all kinds of different size companies um, who actually make a routine of looking back over the week looking back over the month and asking themselves, okay, knowing what I now know where I am today at the end of the week or the end of the month, how could I have spent my time better in retrospect? How can I have, how could I have done a better job? And it's not so much necessarily mistakes is learning from uh, what we now know in the, in the present and applying it to the future. Looking through your, your new book and I welcome everyone to go check out Jim's new book at jimwetrich.com. There's a statement you made. It's really long, and there was no way to reword it into a simple question. So I'm going to give you the whole long statement here, right out of your book. You talk about how to cultivate and promote transparency and psychological safety and clarity in the workplace to create a high-performance business. Please tell yeah. us more about that. Yeah, Tony, t- two of my uh, absolutely favorite topics. Um, and uh, there's a book written by a Stanford business professor, and, and he talks in this book about transparency and actual research, which I quoted in my book, where um, a company found that employers routinely lie to their employees about their promotability because they want um, not to um, scare the people away and uh, they don't want them to leave. So they tell them, yeah, you've got potential, you've got a career here, you've got all these things when it really isn't the case. Um, I uh, believe in ethics. I believe in integrity. It's foundational from my parents. And I believe that employers should be transparent with their employees, right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, I personally believe if my name is on a piece of paper somewhere, I ought to know what it says, good or bad. Um, and I've found a number of great leaders in my past particularly Tim Ring, who was at Abbott Laboratories, who later left Abbott to go work and ultimately become chairman and CEO of CR Bard, had an amazingly successful at CR Bard. He was probably the first person when I was at Abbott early in my career to say, look, Wetrich, 
here's the succession plan. Here's where people see you going. Here's where they think you need growth and development. And, and it changed my career. I didn't even know I was on a succession plan. I didn't even know my name was on a piece of paper. I didn't know people were looking at me in terms of you know growth and promotability. So I, I think it's important. The other piece Google has made quite uh, prominent, and that's the idea of psychological safety. And they found uh, through extensive research at their, in, in looking at their teams that the most important factor in team success with the notion of psychological safety, right? Being able to speak up, being able to speak my mind, being able to talk about what's happening without the fear of retribution, that people will hold it against me or, you know, take action against me. Um, and, you know, I, Tony, you and I are smart. We've been around a long time. And, you know, just uh, I always caution people just because it works at Google doesn't mean it may work at your organization. That said, um, I do believe and companies, I think, are really migrating toward an environment where things are much more safe, where people can speak up um, and where there's much more employee feedback and employee participation, which I think is is fabulous. Jim, I think I've been marred a little by the last couple of places that I worked in corporate America. It's been a while. Wasn't transparent. The executives, even myself as an executive, the other executives and the CEO, it was like a poker game. And, and you couldn't really get a whole lot out of what's going on sometimes. And this is really, really awkward when you're up at that level of management to find out what's going on. Very strange. No transparency and very, um, very strange work ethics. You know, it, it, it's probably very different now. It's been a few years since I've been in corporate, but I'm thinking how transparent should transparencies be? You hear about it, but how far should they go? Because my experience is the opposite. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think to some extent, contextually, it depends, right? Um, there's certain laws that are important. Uh, culture is important. And what may be important here may not be the same as somebody uh, in another country or another part of the world. So all those things you know, have to play into it. I think it's something that the company has to establish. This is what we believe in. Um, and this is how we're going to walk the talk. And this is the culture and the environment that, the, that we want. Paradoxically, and although I haven't seen uh, scientific research on this, Tony, I think in spite of all the technology that we've got, communication seems to be as bad or worse as it has been in a long period of time. And part of it is there's so much. And uh, a number of things I work with my coaching clients on and other clients is pick your method of communication. Um, you know, we can't all be on Slack and Teams and text messages and email and this and that, right? It's just too much. I find so many workers today are spending so much time trying to find information. I, companies are putting it out there, but they don't know, the employees don't know where to look. Or they're overwhelmed by information and communication, so messages are getting drowned out. And I think we need to step back and say, okay, this is how we're going to communicate. These are the mechanisms and portals we're going to use. And I also think people need to be more open. A lot of companies have town halls. Uh, there's a lot of conversation, but the feedback I get from people I've talked to in large companies that have town halls, there's a lot of questions that never get answered. 
So what is your approach? What is your philosophy? How are you going to follow up on those things? And um, it's uncomfortable, Tony, right? Um, I don't want to necessarily tell people, and there's obviously issues with public companies in disclosure and information and inside information and all those things. Um, and those obviously have to be adhered to, but um, I'm cautiously optimistic that things are getting better. Me too. Now I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm going to give it a slant. I'm going to talk about workplace bullying. But before I ask you that question, I'm thinking in all the places I've worked, and believe it or not, I've never said this before, the, it, it comes from the top. It comes from the CEO or the chairman. And if there's certain things you're not supposed to say, don't ever talk about, you can't ever talk about them, even if it's something wrong. And it kind of gives this atmosphere a little, like a little bullying atmosphere. So I want to talk about bullying from the top and uh, your comments and points of view on that. Yeah, gosh, Tony, that, that's, that's such a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. Listen, um, you know, in my experience, and, and I've worked for large companies, uh, small companies, my own company, mid-sized companies, private equity companies, I mean, I can go down the list. Culture starts at the top. Right. And even as strong as a manager or leader, I may want to be in my business, in my business unit, in my division, in my operation. If the person at the top uh, is not setting the right culture and, and right um, orientation in regard to this, it's, it's just so difficult. Right. You get almost caught in this squeeze. This is the Tony D'Urso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, where good leaders go wrong with James Wetrich. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Hey, one other thing I wanted to mention. I know you're zoned into listening to this interview with Jim Wetrich. But have you made a note to yourself to check out fastgrowingtrees.com slash Tony? You know, the selection is amazing and it beats any of those box stores and it gets shipped to you rapidly. You can't beat that. And the prices are marvelous. So please make that note and get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Tony while it's available. Your landscaping will thank you. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Where Good Leaders Go Wrong with James Wetrich. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you can find and listen to just about every interview I ever recorded at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And I do mean all seven years of interviews are found on the Master Archives at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Jim. I think part of the problem, Tony, is there's so much pressure on financial performance. However, they measure that through KPIs, OKRs, sales, revenues, market share, sales calls, whatever it is. 
And we get lost in the quantitative analysis and we don't focus enough on the qualitative aspects, whether it's engagement, whether it's a fear of retribution, whether it's bullying. And bullying, as you know, can be a physical, it can be emotional, and it can be psychological. And in a number of large companies, there are ombudsmen, there are portals, there are places where people can go to complain. And uh, in a number of small companies, we don't have that because we can't afford to have that. And nor do we even necessarily maybe even have the time to think about that or how do I provide that kind of mechanism? But it's really important. At the end of the day, Tony, you know, and I know all your listeners know, it's how you treat people, right? It's how you invest in people. It's how you train people. It's how you treat people. And part of what I see going on is um, that managers, even if there's an operation of a, of a franchise somewhere or an office of a huge company, um, no one's managing the managers, Tony. It's something I talk about in my book, right? I sit down you know, with my boss at the end of the year and he or she goes over my numbers, my goals, you know, did I hit my profitability and spending targets? Nobody asked me how I'm treating my employees, right? No one sat in a staff meeting uh, that I have once a week or once a month or once a quarter or once a day to see how I'm communicating with my employees. Nobody sees me operate when I go out on a sales call, right? How does my boss know whether or not I'm an SOB when I go out and see customers and how I treat them, right? We don't invest in the um, commitment to manage the managers. And we're just looking at certain metrics and assuming whether or not, you know, Wetridge did a good job, you know, this year. And that's a real fault in the system. I think it's, it's, it's systemic and endemic and almost every company I know. Absolutely. Most companies are private. There's no oversight. And if anyone writes a complaint, no matter who they give it to, it's eventually going to go up to the top. And that might be the person that's doing what you consider wrong or against company policy or against corporate ethics or whatnot. It makes it a very awkward, puts one in a very awkward position. And, um, there's challenges there, and it's definitely not been solved, as you say. It's like, how do you solve it? People would solve it by, well, they leave. Yeah. Because there's no other way to correct that which is at the top unless the top is willing to correct. Almost a conundrum. Yeah, Tony, um, you know, most of your listeners, I suspect, are probably familiar with the preeminent hotel chain, The Four Seasons. Um, they've built a company. Uh, there's a book written by the founder, uh, Isidore Sharp. Um, and part of the foundation uh, that he created when he started the Four Seasons Corporation was running his business with the golden rule for both employees as well as customers. And he said in his book, which, which I love, about his journey building a company from scratch, right? Enshrining the golden rule as our primary working guide was the most fundamental decision in shaping our future. Agreed. And that brings up another point, uh, a little bit separate in terms of business success. And it's going to sound a little bit like, I guess maybe I'm going to argue with you, but it's not really. Because you talk about that entrepreneurs and business owners should embrace a growth mindset. And I say to you, Jim, 
don't they already have a growth mindset in the first place? So can you can you unravel that one? That's good. Good question. I like I like the the twist you put on that, Tony. Um, growth mindset really uh, has come out of work uh, by another individual I highly recommend uh, named Carol Dweck, who uh, has been and still is at Stanford University, and she spent her entire career looking at growth mindset. Growth mindset isn't necessarily about building businesses and growing businesses. It's about our own personal mindsets. And she talks about two different mindsets that she's found in her research. People that predominantly believe that they can grow personally, right? As an individual, I can learn, I can grow, I can develop versus those who feel, look, I was born with what I was born with. That's all I got. Uh, and she labels that a fixed mindset. And um, understanding the difference, I put some of the work that she talks about in her book into my interviews when I was interviewing people for key positions uh, in my companies, right? To see if they have a growth mindset or more of a fixed mindset. So, it isn't about the proverbial growth that we all think about when we're entrepreneurs and running a business. It's really about who we are fundamentally and how we think and what we think our capabilities are and our ability to learn. I appreciate that answer. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. In flipping through your book, I see that you talk about being a self-aware leader, and I really like that. So I want to ask you, can you give us some steps on how to do that? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, and I mentioned it early on, and, and I have to go back to, to Warren Bennis, um, and, and I, I quote him in that chapter at the beginning where he says, first, self-awareness is the most difficult task any of us face. But until you know yourself, your strengths and weaknesses, you can't succeed in any of the most superficial sense of the word. So I really believe getting to understand who we are, how we operate what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, what we know, what we don't know, how we operate. And, and Tony, um, I would throw in there, although I didn't throw it in that chapter in the book, I don't believe is bias, right? We all have biases um, and, and, and they're not necessarily negative or bad, but we all were trained uh, to think certain ways and, and understanding those biases and how they may impact our decision making and how we operate. Is, is really critical. And, and Warren talks, and I put this at the end of the chapter, Warren talks about four uh, lessons in self-knowledge in terms of building self-awareness. One is you're your own best leader, right? You're your own best teacher, rather. Second, accept responsibility, blame no one. The third is you can learn anything you want to learn, right? Goes back to the growth mindset. And then fourth, true understanding comes from reflecting on your experience. So I don't think many of us really take the time to reflect and look back on whatever it is we need to reflect and look back on in order to build our self-awareness. I like that. Thank you. Very good points here. Points to ponder and think about and put in our own business and our own mindset and so forth. Another thing, thing another item I found in your book that, that caught my attention was the hypocritical, the hypocritical leadership attitude and how it can be destructive. 
So perhaps you could define that and then tell us about that, just in case uh, some of the audience members are, what's that? Yeah, I think it goes, thank you, Tony. I think it goes back to um, a couple of things. One's communication uh, and how we communicate. And it really, uh, there are people that are horrifically hypocritical, uh, but it's really more in in the sense uh, of nuance. Um, I remember when a general manager at one of the companies I worked for stood up in front of this massive sales organization of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And if you wanted to get promoted from sales rep to manager, the, the hierarchy was sales rep, manager, area sales director, and vice president. He said, look, you're going to have to come to our headquarters. We have this function. You need to come into this function. You need to work in it for two years. You need to come out of the field. You need to come to headquarters and do this job. Then we'll consider you in the pool to become a district manager. And of course, a lot of people wanted to be promoted and grow. And there's a lot of people that just love to sell and that's what they want to do. Well, not more than a month after he laid down this sort of mandate policy, Guess what happened? A uh, position came open in Houston and they decided to promote somebody directly from a sales rep to a district manager without having come to headquarters and do this job. My point is this, be more clear in your communication, right? Look, whether it's a small company, an individual company, a small business or a huge company, there's always exceptions. There's always exceptions or almost always, right? I could fill this whole conversation with just exceptions. I saw the policy when I worked at Abbott Laboratories and they were all reasonable. So communicate that. Say, look, this is the general guideline, right? This is what we intend. This is our aspiration. We think this is the best process, but it may not be followed in every case, as opposed to this is what we're going to do. This is what we, you must do these things. And then poof, all of a sudden, you know, the leadership's credibility shot because, you know, a month after they decree that this is what's going to happen, they decide not to follow it. And that is where I think things get really dicey and, and leaders run into problems. Very good points there. Yeah, we see that where key decisions are being reversed. And I see yeah. that through the news here and there. Absolutely. Separate communication on that. One last good one here. Um, as I mentioned, I've been in corporate a, a few years, and I'm so used to being micromanaged. <laughs> and you say in your book that authentic leaders can't effectively lead that way. Yeah. You know, you're my hero <laughs> on that. Yet, Jim. It's all around us, or at least it was when I was in corporate. Yeah. Micromanaging is was the way, the, the rule, the life, the, the golden rule, the, the iron fist. But you're against that, which I'm glad. So can you comment? Yeah, I, it's come from experience mostly, Tony. You know, the, the biggest trouble business people have who lead people is letting go. Um, and one of the mistakes young managers make that is people that are new to manager, not necessarily chronological, but new managers, is they tend to put the peanut butter on the bread exactly the same. It's smooth throughout, right? And one of the things you learn through experience is different people on my team that I'm leading need different levels of support and help. That said, 
The hardest thing to do is let go. And we tend to get prescriptive and we want clones of ourselves. We want people to do the work the way we would do it. This is the template. This is how I want you to lay out the information. This is what I want you to do because that's the way I would do it. This is the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, where good leaders go wrong with James Wetrich. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Where Good Leaders Go Wrong with James Wetrich. And now, back to the chat with Jim. And if you let go, and I encourage everybody who can't to try to let go and let the people be creative. Uh, The thing I've found consistently, Tony, throughout my career is the vast majority of times, if you've got the proverbial right people on the bus, they will do the job and work better than you yourself would do it. That's just the reality. People want to do a good job. People are creative. They have different perspectives. They have different biases. They have different capabilities. And more often than not, they're going to do the job better than I would have done it or better than they would have done it if I'd been so prescriptive and told them this is what you have to do. Clearly, there are jobs and roles and functions where you have to be very specific and very directive about this is what we have to do, right? But those are few and far between. And micromanaging is so stifling for so many people. I couldn't agree with you more. Yet that said, I find that there's a little bit of a balance because when I work with my teams, I don't manage them at all. They know what's supposed to be done. I give it to them. But I find that work doesn't seem to get, but this is me. I'm not doing the work. It doesn't seem to get as much. So there's a balance there of how much to manage and how's it going on the project? How's it going on the task? Just a little question like that is all you need to just let things roll. So it's just real. It's, it's the light touch, but that's, that's a diff- that's a different topic. That, but I find that really helps a lot. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase. It's a light touch. I love that. Well, thank you very much. We've, we've hit so many good points on where good leaders go wrong. And again, everyone, you can find him at jimwetrich.com. Jim, I want to thank you so much for giving us some really good points. I hope we get a number of people checking out your new book and really learning. And we have that chance 
to improve the productivity of society the right way. And, and this is going to help a lot. Thank you again, Tony, for the opportunity. And thank you for all that you and your family do. It's, it's really uh, humbling and exciting and energizing and a delight to be with you and, and all your listeners. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And here's an insider's brief about turning your passion into a mission. You know, living in our concrete world, we can and we do. We become disconnected from the important parts of our life. You know what I mean. Sometimes it becomes a race to make money or, as perhaps more recently, a race just to survive. And on top of that, you've heard of burnout. There's times, you know, we have to take a break. We have to regroup. And there are times that we just need to go out and smell the roses, as you've heard, or in this case, go hug a cow. Meet Ellie Lex. She's the founder of The Gentle Barn, and she sidestepped the entrepreneurial route. She found the perfect way of putting her talents and passions all into one, and I'm going to let her tell you all about it. Hi, Ellie, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So good to have you with us today, Ellie. Let's start here. Can you please tell us about The Gentle Barn? Yeah, so The Gentle Barn is a 23-year-old national organization with locations in Los Angeles, California, Nashville, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. We have about 200 animals, and they're all rescued from severe abuse and neglect. We're home to horses, cows, pigs, sheep, goats, chickens, turkeys, peacocks, llamas, emus. And what we do is we bring the animals in that have nowhere else to go. We rehabilitate them with good vet care and a whole slew of alternative methods. Once they're rehabilitated, if we can find them a home of their own, we do. And if not, because they need ongoing care for the rest of their lives, we give them sanctuary with us. And if and when they're ready, we partner with them to heal people with the same stories of trauma and connect people to the love and magic of animals. I love it. And I've gone to your site, which is gentlebarn.org. I've seen some of the images and pictures. As we discussed off air, I am an animal lover as well. I really like what you're doing. I want to support it a lot. But one thing I have to ask, because my audience is asking, hey, we're entrepreneurs, we're business people. How would this help us take our business to the next level? How would this help us impact with our audience and so on and so forth? So let me ask you the the question here, Ellie. What have you learned from taking care of animals? What I've learned from taking care of animals uh, mostly is that we're all the same. We just look different. But as far as and entrepreneurship, what I would say is whether we want to open a nonprofit or a business, whether we have um, a franchise or just one store or restaurant or location, I will tell you that inside of each and every single one of us is a dream and a drive and a passion that we have come here to share with the world. So for me, I turned my driving passion into a nonprofit organization. But for entrepreneurs, they're turning their drive and their passion into incredible business ideas that not only um, allow them to be successful, but give something back to the world at the same time. And so um, I just think that inside each of us is a dream and an idea. And the main part is that none of us should ever give up, that we should keep our eye on that dream Uh, imagine to ourselves what it's going to feel like, that success, that giving something back to the world. We need to know what it's going to feel like and be like. And keeping our eye on the passion and the outcome 
and the service to the world, the how will find us, the direction, the connections, they will find us and we will be led to how to do it. When I dreamed of the gentle barn, I was only seven years old. And of course, in my formative years, I had no idea how to open a nonprofit organization, rescue animals, save them and connect them to people looking for hope. But I never, ever gave up on it. I never walked away from my dream and I never thought it was impossible. And I kept imagining to myself what it would feel like to be living inside of my dream. And it became a very real place inside my mind. And the how and the connections and the ways found me. And here I am with a 23-year-old national organization thriving, and I'm looking for my fourth location as we speak. That is absolutely amazing. And by the way, I understand you've had over 500,000 people go to your facilities, which is absolutely amazing. And so what is it? I mean, we've all been to zoos, right? And for some, once you go to a zoo, maybe once, maybe twice, you kind of, okay, that's, that's it, I'm done. But you offer something different. And in fact, I was joking about it just a little bit earlier, so slight joke, but we, can we really go there and hug a cow and get like more close with your animals? Yes. So for animals around the world, we crave closeness. We crave getting to know them. We crave hugging them, holding them, petting them. Um, but most of the time, especially at zoos, those animals are, we're not able to get close to them. We can look at them, we can learn about them, but we're not able to actually hug them and hold them. So the gentle barn is a unique opportunity for people to get right up close to animals that they've probably never experienced before. Hug cows, cuddle turkeys, hold chickens, scratch goats and sheep, even kiss the top of our emu's fuzzy head. <laughs> um, so yes, it's very intimate. It's very connected. It's very close. You can look in their eyes. You can hold them, hug them, love them. You can hear their stories of resilience. And you can leave with a deeper connection to animals than you ever thought possible. So we offer a lot of programs at the Gentle Barn. We're open to the public on Sundays and people can come and meet the animals. We have private tours, school field trips, and birthday parties during the week. But one of the things that I'm most proud of is that we offer cow hug therapy sessions. In olden days, it used to be for people inside agencies that were really hurting. So like children in foster care, teenagers on probation or in drug and alcohol rehab facilities, um, children and adults in homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters. Um, and they would come to our programs and get cow hug therapy. But now because of the pandemic, I think we are all stressed out, overwhelmed, scared. We have all been through hell. And so now we offer cow hug therapy sessions for anyone, uh, anyone that's stressed out, depressed, anxious, um, scared, or anyone that just needs a good hug. And it's the most incredible experience you could imagine. Um, closing your eyes, putting your face on the shoulder of the cow, slowing down your breathing to match theirs, slowing down your heart rate to match theirs. It rids your mind of thinking and thoughts. You can let go of your to-do list, worrying about the past or the future, and you're just immersed in present time. And the experience helps you get grounded, centered, open, and vulnerable. And that's where healing starts. I really like that. And while you were saying that, I was imagining myself doing that. And I would actually love to do that. I can totally see how it's an experience we don't get. I, I lived in the city. I grew up in the city. 
all my life. It's an experience you don't get, again, of course, as mentioned before, you go to a zoo, but you don't really get upfront and personal with, with any animal whatsoever at the zoo. So this is really something I want to do that. And I appreciate that. So you're in, you're in three locations now. What, is there something, is there a special process to, to sign up for the cow hugging therapy or we just go show up and stand in line? How does that work? Yeah, so to sign up for a one-hour-long cow hug therapy session or any of our Gentle Barn programs, you can go to our website, gentlebarn.org, press programs or visit, and you can find out all about how to enroll. Wonderful. And one thing I think you've learned, and in fact, we spoke a little bit about this off-air, and it's, it's a, I wouldn't say a passion, maybe it's a passion, it's not a pastime. It's, it's something that really interested in my journey is, is communicating with animals. And we actually have uh, just bought a book on how to communicate with animals. And there's a lot more to it than you think, than the normal person may think, but we can actually communicate with animals. And I'd love to get your comment and your viewpoint on that. Yeah. So um, in my belief system, I believe that every single one of us is born intuitive and connected, just like any animal species. We're no different than a school of fish or a herd of wild bison. We all operate with um, seeing pictures and connecting intuitively. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, have you ever had the experience where a phone rings and before answering it, you know who it is? Or you're talking to someone and they're saying all the right things, but the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up and you know something's wrong, even though they're smiling and talking nicely. Have you ever had those experiences? Oh, absolutely. Many times. So that's intuition. Yeah. So that's just plain intuition. And we operate intuitively more than we, we believe and we think because it's not really talked about in our culture. But if you look back to any Aboriginal or Native cultures, they operated intuitively just like animals do. And so it's something that we all have, but it's something that we all need to remember that we have. And so I've been talking to animals, or rather animals have been talking to me since I was six years old. I thought it was totally normal. I got teased and bullied for it in my teens in high school, but it's something that I've always done. And um, so I'm really grateful that I never got lost from it. And it's something that I've always done for the animals at the Gentle Barn being able to tell them that we want to save them and showing them what the gentle barn looks like so we can bring them home, telling them what their life is going to look like so they can heal, or asking them what they feel in their bodies if there's a physical ailment or an emotional problem that we can fix for them, asking them what they want and they need. So it's helped me at the gentle barn tremendously. But recently, I've started doing it professionally for people around the world because I really want to help more people connect with their animals in the deepest way possible. And when you can hear them and understand them, and when you're connected like that, it's the richest of relationships. For people that kind of don't realize that they can talk to animals, but want to, um, I have two pieces of advice. One is to pick a spot each day where you can quiet your mind and be still, and then kind of go blank and ask your animals questions. And then whatever you get, whatever pictures or words or sounds you get, trust it. And you can start developing that muscle. I like that. I like that a lot. And that, that can actually help us in our business just by, again, as you mentioned, being more intuitive because 
some of us we get tricked. We 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 deal with people that say something that say everything we want to hear, and then something goes wrong, and then we say, "Ah, oh, I should have listened to my gut. Should have listened to my intuition." I believe firmly that learning how to speak with animals can help us develop that intuition or whatever words you want to call it to help us when we deal with people when we when we when we have to shake the, shake that hand over zoom and and make a deal or whatever I think it really lends to itself so there's something more there I really believe it's going to help a lot of us and back to you though on this Ellie you've got quite a mission you've got quite a purpose how can we help you how can we support you on this Thank you. Yes. I mean, we can't do any of the things that we do without the community support and without animal lovers partnering with us to make this possible. So um, but if people want to help, they can go to our website, gentlebarn.org and make a donation of any amount and then follow us on social media and share us with their friends and family, creating more of an awareness of the gentle barn and the work that we do for animals and people. Ellie, thank you so much. I, I, as I mentioned off air, there's just I want to do so much more on this. There's so much more support I would like to see you get that I want to help. Maybe we'll pick this up again another time. I, I just want to do what I can. I'm glad to get this message out there. I feel very passionate about this. You understand a little bit more about my, my, my history and why. And I just like everyone, just check it out, gentlebarn.org. Come on, look into their eyes. Look at these beautiful animals. It will help you in your business. Think about that. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed where good leaders go wrong with James Wetrich. We talked about some really good points here, such as tips on how to be an effective leader. We talked about publicly acknowledging your own failures is a prerequisite for success. Who would think? We talked about cultivating, promoting transparency and psychological safety and clarity in the workplace. It's a tongue twister there, but very important. That helps create a high performance business. We talked about workplace bullying, how to deal with it, gave some points, and what do you do when it comes from the very top. And we talked about how entrepreneurs and business owners like you, you have to embrace a growth mindset. We talked about that and gave you some tangible steps to become a more self-aware leader. And also, how to cease the destructiveness of a hypocritical leadership attitude. Talked about some other points as well. Great conversation on leadership. Tell me, what did you like about this interview? I'd love to hear from you. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. All right, folks, use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Arso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.